Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself up for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our gospel lesson in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the parable of the shrewd steward. Now today we would call that steward a bookkeeper or an accountant. And what's he guilty of? Seems to be he's embezzling his master's funds or he's certainly squandering them. It's not his own money. And when he's told, get your books together because I'm about to fire you. What am I going to do? And he figures out a way to put himself in the best position. If he takes his master's debtors and tells them, make cut your debt in half. Well, they're going to owe him now, right? Because when he's kicked out on the street, if they don't let him into their homes and they don't give him pay, he can turn around and turn them into authorities. It's called blackmail. But in all of that, he looks out for himself mismanaging somebody else's money. Somebody who was still stealing but could afford it. And that's the way it is with our Heavenly Father. The clothes that are on your back, the roof that's over your head, the food that's in your stomach... All are gifts from God, and you and I are managers. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, in our sermon text for today, we hear of people who are even shrewder, if you will, than that shrewd manager. They've even cast God aside, and they are trampling over people that they can't afford to be taken advantage of. Not that anybody can. And today, as we work through that text, I will ask you the question, as you look at stewards of being what God has entrusted to you, How are you prioritizing what God has entrusted to you? Our text for our sermon is Amos chapter 8, verses 4 through 7. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat? Skimping the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. This is the word of our Lord. So as we discuss that question, how are you prioritizing what God has entrusted to you? Did you catch what happened right there in verse 5 there, what the people are saying? When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? Now the Sabbath day, as God gave it to the nation of Israel was supposed to be a day of rest and a day to find rest in the word of God. But for these merchants, it was an inconvenience. I want this day to be over so I can open up the doors to my shop and I can get back to taking advantage of my fellow man. Who's really being worshipped there, brothers and sisters in Christ? Mammon, money, the things that it can buy as mammon, material possessions... And the irony here is when you consider who Amos, the prophet, is preaching to. See, there had been a civil war after Solomon had died, and the kingdom was split. You had the southern kingdom, which was called Judah, and that's where Jerusalem and the temple were. The northern kingdom was retained the name Israel. And you see, the kings of Israel, they didn't want the people going down to worship the Lord at the temple and thereby having loyalty to the southern kingdom of Judah. And so they set up a cult. Literally, they were bronze calves or bulls there in what would later be the capital city of Samaria. 
So these people are having a hybrid religion to begin with, and it's interesting the rules they choose to follow, and never mind the big ones like thou shalt have no other god. And in fact, we know that they worship the false gods around them of the Canaanites like Baal and Moloch. Just look at the ministry of Elijah. And so there's something majorly hypocritical here in their worship. Not only is taking time to be in the word of God an inconvenience for them, but they have so twisted the word of God to their likings that you wonder why they would even follow that commandment at all. Well, it leads us to ask, as we ask, how are you prioritizing what God has entrusted to you? Is your worship hypocritical or is it from faith? See, God's Holy Spirit in our heart leads us to want to hear the word of God. God's Holy Spirit in our heart leads us to want to come and confess our sins to God. God's Holy Spirit in our heart leads us to trust and believe that our sins are forgiven because Jesus Christ put them on His shoulders and nailed them to the cross and paid for them. But there's a lot of hypocritical worship, isn't there? Well, I'm here because if I don't, my spouse will nag at me. Well, I'm here because it'll give me a leg up maybe in the community. I'm here and I wish it would hurry up and get over that I can get back to my thing. Or I really don't like the way we worship. I, I really want to make sure that, that I'm entertained, that I'm the one actually being served. But brothers and sisters in Christ, God has entrusted us. He's given us the faith and He said, I ask you to come to my word. That commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, it was fulfilled by Christ. So we don't have to worship on Saturday and yet, as Martin Luther wisely said in his small catechism, we should fear and love God that we do not despise preaching or his word, but gladly hear, learn, and obey him. And there really shows us the difference. Are we coming to tell our almighty God, I'm a sinner, and trust in him that our sins are forgiven? Are we coming to worship God, or are we coming to worship our own wants and desires? Because that's the answer to the question, is your worship hypocritical or from faith? But there was something else that went on in verse 5 as well. Once again, there they say, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? Notice they have a problem with stewardship. Stewardship of their time. Now, in America today, we're a very affluent society. And don't kid yourself, and I'm not making a political comment on welfare at all. I'm just saying that the average person in America on welfare today has a life that the people, the rich people in the ancient world would be envious of. They can't imagine hopping into a car and driving across town in a couple of minutes what would have taken them all day to walk and having heating and air conditioning to take care of that. They can't imagine, couldn't imagine having a refrigerator with food that you just pop into a microwave. In America, we're very affluent and we still hoard up our money. But you know what we really hoard up today is our time. We're busy running our kids to soccer practice, whatnot, and so forth. And do you know when I visit people who have not been coming to church as a pastorly visit to make sure everything's okay, the number one excuse that I hear, I hear it nine times out of ten, and I almost always hear it exactly this way. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. God created the world in six days. And then he turned around and gave us an extra day in which he set an example by resting. But for some reason, all of God's principles of creation do not apply to this person because they're too busy. 
God took on human flesh and lived as our brother, lived as our substitute, is and remains our Savior for approximately 33 years, and I'm too busy. God literally rules over time and creation for the benefit of those He loves, and I'm too busy. All too often, don't we view spending time in God's Word as something we're just too busy for? Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. It would be bad stewardship to go the opposite extreme and think that we need to be like the monks in the medieval ages and and join a monastery and think we're giving God all of our time. That's not what God asks. He asks you to be a steward. He asks you to come and study His Word. He asks you to be in it. And you know, it's amazing how we can, if we're not feeding ourselves because we think we're too busy... You know who else is getting gypped? Who's literally being screwed over by us? Our relatives. Our unbelieving neighbor and others. For God has given us gifts and if we're not using them, others are not being edified by them. And when we're not in the Word, we're not in a position to take the time to share that Word with our neighbors. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how are you prioritizing what God has entrusted to you? Do you hoard your time or do you see it as a gift from God? Now, certainly I'm preaching to the choir this morning because I'm preaching to people who took the time today to be edified by the word of God and hear the good news of forgiveness in Christ. What happens next in our lesson in verse six is is really the most horrifying of, of the whole thing. When verse 6 literally says, In order to acquire the poorest person with silver and the needy person for the sake of a pair of sandals, and so they may sell the refuse with the wheat grain. Brothers and sisters in Christ, today we do have a welfare system that has eliminated one of the reasons why we don't need slavery. But in Old Testament Israel and in the ancient world, if you were starving to death, there were people that were just going to let you starve to death. What if the only way you could buy enough flour to put food in your children's stomach was to sell yourself as a slave? Now again, God's Old Testament had put together, for those who were in that position, had put together rules for them. And a major rule was on the year of Jubilee, you were set free. However, we have no indication that the northern kingdom, having picked and choose what they wanted and made a hybrid religion, were going to follow that at all. So people are being taken advantage of in the marketplace, the poorest people who can't afford it, and they're being ground under the boot heel of the merchant himself, who then turns around, after jibbing them on the right amount of wheat and everything, turns around and puts them in a position where they have to sell themselves as slaves. And don't kid yourself, he's not paying the top price for them. He may turn around and sell them for the top price. And the second part there, and the needy person for the sake of a pair of sandals. When you're so hard up that you go to the merchant and say, you know, I need a payday loan. Another way we today take advantage of people who are poor or maybe not very wise with their money. I need a payday loan. If you can loan me a pound of flour, I can pay you back at the end of the week. What security do I have? Hmm. Why don't you leave me the sandals on your feet? Because that's all you have. Now, imagine if you had to go to work and you're going to have to work extra because you've got to pay back that pound of wheat from last week and you've got to make enough to make a pound of wheat to feed your family this week. 
But now you're limping because you have no protection on your feet. You need to work double time and you're able to work at half the pace. Well, guess what happens when you come back empty handed and say, I can't repay my debt. You become a slave. The sandals were kept as a security to that. And the saddest thing of all is what happens at the end so that we may sell the refuse with the wheat grain. You know, they, they didn't have nice, clean uh, places that, that, that followed the certain laws that our government has stand, uh, standards to make sure everything was safe and there no, were, were no rat droppings and stuff in it. And they, they just had their booths out there on the city street. And, oh, I spilt a little bit of flour here. Nobody's looking. I'll just hunker down and sweep that up. And guess what these poor people who are selling their freedom to be able to put a loaf of bread in their children's stomach, guess what they're getting? They're getting wheat that has dirt and other things mixed in it. After selling their freedom, they're not even being given the means to give the nourishing meal to their children. This is truly seeing somebody else to your advantage. This is truly seeing all human beings as somebody that's there to serve you and your needs and your wants. That is what's going on there. However, it changes our perspective when we look at our Lord and Savior who is true God, who took on human flesh, who lived as your substitute, who paid the adoption price on the cross and rose for you, so that we are told that Jesus is now our brother. Now, if Jesus is your brother and God the Father is your father, guess what? You're nobility. You're the reason why heaven and earth was made. And yet, do you view your fellow man as somebody who's there to serve you? One of the worst ways Christians can do that is by harboring our own bitterness, refusing to forgive people, even though they have not sinned against us nearly as, as much as we've sinned against the Lord, telling other people how to serve us. But brothers and sisters in Christ, our Lord served us, literally took on the form of a servant by carrying our sins to the cross. And you and I are now connected to him by the Holy Spirit and grafted onto him as a branch is to the vine. And so we do produce fruit. We don't produce good works in order to be saved. We produce those good works because we are saved. We are connected to Christ. And one of those good works is we look at humanity and we say, I am your servant. And again, the greatest way we serve humankind is in our own vocations as we let our faith shine. Our honesty, our integrity, and our love for the Lord. I have learned on more than one occasion the hard way that if I go up to a relative or a friend and I just force, like with an iron pry bar forcing the door open, the conversation of salvation in, uh, into our conversation, it's never gone well. But I've also learned when I have a servant's attitude, I study the word not just for my own edification, but to be prepared because God does often open opportunities. The neighbor has to have a surgery. The neighbor's having a hard go. The cousin that we never are, want to share the word of God with, even though we know they're an unbeliever, suddenly calls up and says, I've been diagnosed with cancer. And voila, God has just blasted the door open. Are they there to serve us? Are we here to serve them? To serve them with what the Lord has served us with. The life-saving word. How do you prioritize what God has entrusted to you? Do others serve your needs or do you serve others? 
Obviously, as a Christian engrafted onto Christ, you serve others with the word. Lastly, in verse 7, we're told the Lord binds himself to an oath by the pride of Jacob. Surely I will never forget all their deeds. Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He gets the name Israel, which means wrestles with God. What is the pride of Jacob? What does Jacob consider the most excellent? He wrestled with God for a blessing. He knows the blessing. The pride of Jacob is the Lord of his salvation. Here the Lord is swearing by himself. It's the highest thing he has to swear by. I will never forget all their deeds. So when we look at history, at rotten men like Joseph Stalin, who killed Christians, who saw all of his people as his servants, seems like they got away with it, doesn't it? God says, oh no. Today we foolishly call it karma, which is from a cultic idea. God often uses one thief to punish another, even in this life. God does give it back to them, but when it seems like they've completely got away with it, don't kid yourself, they haven't. They've got an eternity of hell waiting for them. This is scary. Scary to the sinful nature, isn't it? God knows everything. We can't hide anything from Him. So do you fear God's knowledge? Or as one who is engrafted to Christ, do you trust God's knowledge? What? See, God knows all of your sins, and that's a comfort to our new man because it's not that we're going to go to heaven and God says, Ah, I got the books out, and I realized I forgot this one sin. You got that one under my radar. Off to hell you go. God knows all your sins, and He's promised the blood of His Son has removed them. God knows things that are a comfort for us with the servant's heart. Let me give you a few examples. The Sunday school teacher who works a full-time job and spent half of her Saturday preparing a Sunday school lesson for children that she wants to edify. Truly a servant's heart whose parents don't care. And the Sunday school teacher shows up and none of the kids are in the class. Why? Well, Junior had a wrestling tournament. And of course, his other Sunday school classmate wanted to come along and the whole family went because it's out of town. Nobody knows the work that that Sunday school teacher put into that lesson. But God does. God knows. It didn't go unnoticed. God says, well done, good and faithful servant. The person who sees something breaking or broken in the congregation and does not blow their own whistle says, God has given me the skills. I know how to fix this. And quietly comes over, fixes it. and Nobody ever knows it was broken. Nobody knows. But God does. And God knows that they did it out of love for him. God makes an oath here not to forget. And his oath here is law because he's talking about people who are, who are breaking the commandments. But he makes an oath to you as well not to forget the good things that you do out of love for him. And let us not forget a very specific oath he made to you in your life. When you were baptized, God made an oath to you. He made a promise that you would have to put up one heck of a very long-term fight before he would let his Holy Spirit depart from your heart. So we ask, how are you prioritizing what God has entrusted to you? Do you fear or trust God's knowledge? Now, in the long run, in that parable in our gospel lesson of the shrewd servant, the comparison is being made. God gives you material possessions and money to take care of what you need and he gives you extra so you can return thanks to him. And he gives you extra so that you can take care of your neighbor's 
needs. And that's the comparison that's going on. In our lesson, we saw people who they see what God's entrusted to them, and it's how can mine, 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 how can I use it to my advantage? And so we've asked that question, how are you prioritizing what God has entrusted to you? Is your worship hypocritical or from faith? With the Holy Spirit in your heart and engrafted to Christ, it's from faith, even while the sinful nature says, I don't want to be here. Do you hoard your time or see it as a gift from God? Because it truly is, and he's given you all eternity. You will spend all eternity with God, with the faith he's given you in our Lord and Savior. Do others serve your needs or do you serve others? You have a servant's heart even though you're nobility because Christ has made you his brothers and sisters. And you have the power to use your Christian freedom that way. Do you fear or trust God's knowledge? Our sinful nature fears it. Our new man embraces it and is thankful that God knows all things and is keeping us in our salvation. Amen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.